1: Good morning. Welcome to the show. Julian De Stoop with you on a pretty chilly Melbourne morning. Thankfully, no rain around. So hopefully an uninterrupted day uh, down in Melbourne Park after a day of drama on day three. So tennis's big three maybe a solo act come the 2024 Australian Open. Novak Djokovic will be back, but Roger Federer is long gone and the end appears nigh for Rafa Nadal. If this is to be Rafa's last appearance at Melbourne Park... How will he look back on his time at the Australian Open? Has it provided more pleasure or more pain? The Spanish Bull is a two-time winner of the tournament, 13 years apart, 2009 and 2022. But in between those victories, he was defeated in the final four times, and in several other years, his body let him down. In 2018, a hip injury forced him to retire in the fifth set of his quarterfinal against Marin Cilic, Five years on, another hip injury may, see, may have seen him leave Rod Laver Arena for the final time.
2: Nadal is injured. He just hurt himself a point ago. Well,
3: there it is. A memory and a moment to save for Mackenzie McDonald
4: as he defeats one of the classiest champions our game has known. I
2: have a history in the hip that uh, had issues uh, I had to do treatments in the past, uh, recent, recently too, but was not this uh, amount of problem. Now I feel that I cannot move. I didn't want to retire, to be defending champion here. Uh, no, I didn't want to leave the court uh, with a retirement. Better like this at the end, I lost, nothing to say. Congratulate the opponent, uh, and that's, that's the sport at the same time. Uh, just try your best till the end. Doesn't matter the chances that you have. That's the philosophy of the of the of the sport. Can't say that I am not destroyed <laughs> mentally at this time because I will be lying. So uh, yeah, it's 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 hard for me, you know. Uh, but but let's see. I mean, hopefully it's nothing too bad and. I went through this process uh, too many times in my career and uh, I am ready to keep, keep doing, I think. Uh, but that's not, uh, that's not easy, without a doubt.
5: If it's not the end, it definitely
3: feels like the beginning of the end. And whatever happens next, there will be no one like this man. There will never be another Rafa Nadal. And as he leaves the Lane Arena with us wondering whether he will come back, let's take this opportunity to say thank you for the memories, Rafa. It has been an incredible journey. Class
1: as always, uh, Novak Jock. Oh, Novak Jock. Rafa Nadal, the way he handled himself uh, in the post match uh, on court and also when he faced the media yesterday, you heard part of that. There, so day three, not a good one for the Aussies. Tanasi Kokonakis, their only winner. He needed just five points to wrap up his match with Italian Fabio Fanini. The Italian certainly wasn't up for the fight, but it'll certainly be a different story tonight when Kokonakis faces Andy Murray.
4: Yeah, Adelaide gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, I've been playing great the last two weeks. I feel like my tennis is at a good level. I came here with a little bit of time to prepare, unlike last time. And, uh, yeah, I feel good. I'm ready to give tomorrow a crack. Fabio's a hell of a player. Obviously, been top ten, but I tried to stay focused, stay sharp, and, uh, yeah, play the big points well. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty hungry for tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. You've known Andy for a long time. You guys played in a Davis Cup match years ago. How do you approach that match against someone that you've looked up to, but you're hungry to get into your first ever Australian Open third round. Yeah, I'm very hungry. Um, You know, Andy's a hell of a player, has been for many, many years now. He played a great first round. I've known him for a while. He was one of the guys that really took me under his wing when I came out on tour, always sending me messages of uh, encouragement and advice so we know each other pretty well. But, um, yeah, I'll put all that aside tomorrow and give it a red-hot crack. I don't know what court we'll be on, but if the atmosphere is anything like what it has been for you guys and me here, uh, yeah, I hope you guys get behind me and get rowdy. So thank you.
1: So four Aussies in action in the second round today. Tenasi Kokanakis versus Andy Murray. Alexi Popran's got a tough one on paper against the number eight seed, Taylor Fritz from the United States. Uh, Alex Menor plays Manorino. And, of course, our sole uh, participant now in the women's is Kimberly Birrell. Uh, who plays Linda Fruchtova, the 17-year-old. So we'll speak to Louise Fleming in about 10 minutes to get her thoughts on what happened yesterday, what's going to happen with Rafa. Have we seen the last of him and also uh, preview today's... Actually, a couple of interesting moments yesterday on the women's side. Maria Sakari getting very hot under the collar with her opponent's pretty aggressive celebrations uh, during the match. And then last night, we'll play the audio a bit later, but Danielle Collins thought she'd won the match. Still three points she had to win. She forgot that the tie breaks in the third set of the Grand Slam, first to 10, not first to seven. Uh, so that was an interesting moment uh, for Danielle Collins. So plenty of Australian Open uh, coming up on the show. Now to the footy, and 12 months ago, Taran Thomas appeared to have the footy world at his feet. He'd played 47 games in his first three seasons, including a number of eye-catching performances, at the back end of 2021, including a 23-disposal four-goal display and an upset win over Carlton. 2022 started badly when he sustained internal bruising in a clash against West Coast in Round 3, and he simply never got going. He was called disinterested by David King after an underwhelming performance in Round 15, but it was soon revealed afterwards he was struggling following the death of his grandmother. He wasn't seen at senior level again. Amidst rumours, he wanted out, Despite being contracted now, off-field problems have surfaced.
3: We begin with breaking news on a rising AFL star facing shock revenge pornography allegations. Mitch Cleary is tracking the investigation and Mitch Taran Thomas has been charged by police.
1: Peter, the 22-year-old is facing a charge of threatening to distribute an intimate image. Now, this bombshell accusation is now in the hands of Victoria Police and the AFL's Integrity Unit. North Melbourne says it will counsel Thomas on behavioural expectations. The club has also revealed Thomas was pulled over by police while driving with a suspended licence during his Christmas break. It's a double blow for a young star earning upwards of $600,000 a season. Thomas is currently contracted with the Kangaroos until the end of 2024. It gives his new coach, Alastair. And yet more unwanted publicity ahead of his first season in charge here at Arden Street. Peter? So, serious allegations there that uh, Tarrant Thomas is facing uh, from a football point of view. It's sort of been mooted and moved to move to half back, was on the card to sort of just try and regenerate him uh, a little bit. So, North fans are worried about the, what's happened with Tarrant Thomas uh, the last 12 months. He's seemed to be ascending nicely, uh, but the last 12 months uh, on and off the field have not. Uh, been great. So happy to take your thoughts. 1300 736 736. Send us through a 40 wings temper text 0433 98 Consumer's Choice winner. Temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Memories of Rafa at the Australian Open. If you've got a favourite, I mean, even. That that final he lost to Novak Djokovic is one of the greatest tennis matches we've ever seen. What he did last year, coming back from the death against uh, Daniel Medvedev uh, to win his second title. Have you got any favourite memories of Rafa at the Australian Open. Do you think this is the last we've seen of him? Or are you hopeful that he can get his body right and at least return one more time uh, to Melbourne Park? On our McCafe menu today, Lee, Louise Fleming will join us after our first break to discuss everything at the Australian Open. Australian women's cricket is just going beautifully. Uh, once again, they've wrapped up their series against Pakistan. Alana King had a great 12 months since joining the Australian team. She will join us, uh, VRC Executive GM of Racing, Lee Jordan. Uh, Plenty to talk to Lee about. Uh, Debbie Lee is going to join us, Uh, a pioneer of women's football, chatting about probably the pioneer, one of the pioneers and one of the most important figures in the history of the AFLW, Daisy Pearce, of course, after her retirement yesterday. And Michael Kariannis, Fingers crossed we'll answer his uh, phone today uh, from SEN Sydney in the Daily Telegraph to talk about this pay stoush over the CBA between the NRL and the NRL uh, Players Association where there's been now mooted talks of a strike. Uh, So that's all coming up on the show. And as I say, with the cricket, this summer have we unearthed uh, two prodigious talents, one on the women's side of the game, uh, Phoebe Litchfield, who's come in, first two ODIs, made 50, first Australian to do that. Unbeaten in both her innings at the top of the table. She's a teenager. And then Aaron Hardy for the Scorchers again last night. What a season he's having. Uh, 90 off 62 balls. The Scorchers won comfortably again. uh, Chasing 146. uh, 3 for 147 off 17.3. Hardy 90 off 62 Josh Inglis, 53, off 35. Lance Morris, 2 for 21. And Andrew A.J. Ty 2 for 30. So Scorch is back on top of the table. It meant to be an unpredictable game, uh, T20. But basically, when the Sixers and Scorchers play, you're going to guarantee um, they win. Uh, so Aaron Hardy and Phoebe Litchfield, two great talents that have been discovered in Australian cricket. Uh, that sort of had a good year last year, Aaron Hardy, but really coming to the forefront uh, this year so exciting times uh, for Australian cricket. Okay, let's get our first uh, break away uh, and uh, Louise Plemming will join us to talk all things Australian Open on the other side of the break. This is mornings for the Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel. It's in stock now. Welcome back to the show. Another day of drama at the Australian Open yesterday. Most of it centred around arguably the greatest the sport has seen, Rafa Nadal. Louise Fleming was that good with us yesterday, part of SEN's tennis commentary team, that she's back by popular demand. Morning again, Louise.
5: Oh, gosh, come on. You're just rubbing me up here. Good. <laughs> Great stuff, Jules. How are you? I'm
1: very well, thank you. It was a bit sad yesterday, wasn't it, watching... Uh, Rafa out on court after he sustained that hip injury. Do you fear, like a lot of us that that might be the last time we see him in Australia?
5: No, I don't think so. Okay. No, come on, let's not have that one. I want to have a great day. I want to have a great (laughs) week. I want to have a great 2023. I can't think like that. Look, we obviously know it's getting maybe closer. How much pain tolerance does this human have? Um, No, it was very sad. Obviously, he's been trying to get his body absolutely right for quite a few months. He's had a few niggles. Um, Yeah, and and he's not a guy. He's got so much class. He wouldn't walk off the court injured. He'd rather limp off and and just make sure that Mackenzie McDonald had that win against him. I think he hates... Uh, all his career, really, just to walk off and retire. So, you know, he's going to limp over the line and just be respectful at all ways for his opponent. But very sad for the tournament. Uh, Obviously, you know, now there's a lot of other guys that are licking their lips and Mm. just thinking, okay, that's one guy it's eliminated, but there's still a whole bunch of, of tough guys out there. There's no question about that. How do you think... Well,
1: They threw this up at the top of the show. How do you think he'll look back, if, if this is his last and we hope it's not, even if he's only got one to go, for example. How do you think he looks back on his Australian Open journey? It's been a such an interesting tournament for him. He's won it twice. He's lost the final four times. So often his body... Has let him down and probably cost him the chance to win another couple. Where you know French Open's been so successful for him, same as the US Open, it's been it's been a real roller coaster when he's played in Australia.
5: Yeah, look, it has. I mean, there's no question about him that he's the king clay. He loves the red. Um, you know, that's what he grew up on. That's what his mentality is. And and as a tennis player you find your niche and you you know you push that niche now to think he's 113 Roland Garros is is absolutely phenomenal um and and you go okay well my game plan my game style really suits that does it really suit the faster playing Australian open probably not there's other guys out there um, where their bodies just sustain that effort on hard court a little bit better. One of them is Novak Djokovic. We know that he's like a piece of elastic out there on, on Rod Laver Arena. Um, so I think he'd be pretty happy. I mean, he won some really great matches where his body just held up. I mean, I think you'll look at 2022 last year and say that was probably the best effort coming from behind beating Medvedev. I think he absolutely... Really loved that journey last year. That was probably his ultimate at the Australian Open, I would say.
1: Yeah, it was an amazing uh, performance uh, 12 months ago. Now, have you ever played in a tennis match where you've had a rally that went 70 shots like we saw <laughs> last night with uh, Jason in Jason Kubler's match with Karen Hatchinoff?
5: Look, when I was about 14, I might have been off to do that with some farmer in Wagga where we were just <laughs> popping them over the net, you know, hitting them really soft and not trying to miss phenomenal I, I don't know that was incredible I actually watched that I had to re-watch it um, you could hear the commentators just laughing in the background and you could hear people as the as the rally went on they were just going is this for real um, I, I just wonder if Jason didn't tag the net going down on the back end down the line there whether would have we seen another three. I mean this was <laughs> Possibly. Like, this was like just watching one of the best um, you know practice warm-ups Ever, but but with like a whole lot of pace and power behind it, it was incredible. No, you don't often see that at all. No,
1: oh, it was in- incredible stuff. Uh, he was pretty good, Jason Kubler. Probably as we expected with the three men that were playing yesterday. It was going to be tough, you know. John Milman was pretty good early against uh, Daniel Medvedev. Good experience uh, for Rinky Rinky but uh, in the end, those three men were, I-, I guess, just outclassed by better players.
5: Yeah, look, I mean, Medvedev, you know, he's. He kind of plays in a way a more aggressive style of of um, John Millman, you know. Except he just is like a brick wall. He does it better. He's taller. He's got longer reach. He's got a bigger serve. Um, I thought Johnny did a good job of trying to open up the court, hang in there, come in, hit some volleys. Um, he was always going to be behind against Medvedev. I mean, Medvedev is. He's phenomenal on hard court. He's backhand down the line. It just blows me away. Sitting down on Rod Laver Arena, commentating that match, it just reminds you, you know, the level um, that these guys play. It's phenomenal. So, no, a, a great effort for Millman to get through that five-hour, uh, the four-hour, five-set match the day before or two days before, but then to turn around and, and to play and to compete at that level and hang in like he did. I thought that was a great effort.
1: Been to Louise Fleming, part of the SEN Tennis commentary team. uh, Day four of the Australian Open, not too far away. Uh, Danielle Collins had an interesting moment, a bit of a premature celebration in that uh, tie break. Uh, Just forgot that uh, the super tie breaks go to 10 points now.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I know. That happened the other night too. Um, I I think uh, Andy Murray wasn't completely sure as well. And uh, he was asked after. And then he said, yeah, he said, I kind of, couple of points in and then I realised it was 10. And when you get to 7-1, you still think, gosh, I could still lose this. This, That's the thought process. It's a bit different. But, yes, Danielle um, got a little bit excited there and and didn't realise there was still a few more points to play.
1: (laughs) Did um, Maria Sakari have a point in her match yesterday? The celebrations from her opponent she thought were a bit overly aggressive and she said to the umpire, if she does that again... I'm going to call for the referee. Did she have a point in with that um, complaint?
5: No, absolutely not. I commentated that match. Uh, Diana Schneider, the, the young Russian. I mean, absolutely not. Maria just was feeling up against it. I mean, she's number six in the world. Diana Schneider's 106. This is one of the most phenomenal stories I've ever heard of. This young girl, 18 years of age just 12 months ago, was ranked 1,053. <laughs> she has absolutely rocketed up the WTA Tour. She's 900 spots in 12 months. I need to look that up and just see if any other players yeah, that's incredible. player has done that. No, in 12 months, amazing, and won a WTA event along the way. I mean, yeah, I was watching that match, and she's amazing. a lefty, she's solid, she's served unbelievably well. Watch out for that name. I mean, she's meant to go to college next week or in two weeks' time. Are you kidding me? With $150,000, she'd have to say, no, I can't take that because I'm an amateur. No way. She'll go and play on the tour. She can't go to college.
1: Nah, she was uh, very impressive. So today we've got Kimberly Birrell in action. She's, still a, she's a reasonably young player, reasonably inexperienced player, but she's got the experience over her opponents today, just 17 years of age.
5: Yeah, look, this is not an easy match. Linda Fruvitova, she's from the Czech Republic. She's another one of these superstar young girls coming on the tour. Um, Look, Kim was phenomenal in the match against Kaya Kanepi. Lost the first set. Uh, Kaya's a big hitter. What you can't do with some of these girls that play like a machine, that hit the ball like a bullet, you've got to mix it up. You've got to take them out of their rhythm. And that's exactly what Kim Birrell did. She's a counter-buncher. She stands on the baseline and read that it redirects the ball very well. And most of the girls want to have power to use so that they can hit, you know, big and, and have that kind of energy off the ball. Kim just took the power away. Kaya didn't know where her forehand was. She then ran out of steam. It was the hottest day in Melbourne for the, you know, for the Australian Open. So a whole lot of luck turned around to Kim Birrell. She's now got to reproduce that against the younger player. I don't think she'll walk at out there thinking she's got her number. This young girl plays about 300 matches every two years. She's one of the the young girls that just plays a lot of matches but also plays a lot of exhibitions and very tough match. Uh, She's going to have to be at her absolute best and just perform with the intellect that we know Kim can play with. But she's got to mix it up. She's got to try to take away any of the assets that Pruvitova
0: has.
1: Before we get on to the Aussie men today, Louisa, Jared Healy last night on Sports Day threw up a a belief that he he says the semi-finals and the final for the women at Grand Slam should be extended to best of five sets, which might uh, produce some more sort of classic matches at that stage of the tournament. Is does that idea have any merit in your eyes?
5: Look, I don't I don't think so. Um, all it's going to do is. You know, for women's tennis, it's just going to say, right, who is the absolute fittest? Who's going to just run around? And are we just looking for fitness? Because otherwise, Mm. we'll just go and watch the Olympics and just watch the 400 metres and the 800 metres. I I want to watch a little bit of class. I want to see, you know, just different players, the way they hit, the way they perform, and make it a mental battle. Uh, I mean, on Jibur, if you just looked at, say, Sabalenka and on Jibur, maybe Sabalenka can run side to side better. Ange Burke can maybe run forwards back better. Um, you know, they all bring something a bit different. I I, I can't see any merit in it. I still think, um, yeah, I think it would send people a little bit away from the game. For me, I would find it a little bit more boring. Okay. I don't know, that's just my opinion. Yeah.
1: now I think I think most believe that uh, keeping it at three sets is, is the right thing to do. The Aussie men today, are three in action. So Alexi Popperin up against uh, Taylor Fritz. Alex Dimonor is a pretty clear favorite against Adrian Manorino, but that that's thats no walk in the park.
5: It's not. He's a lefty. He's a journeyman from France. Um, he's a phenomenal competitor, Manorino, and he plays so unusual as well. I think he's racket's struggling at about 20 kilos or something, or 20 pounds, something ridiculous. So he just uses the pace of his opponent. Um, he plays very flat. He takes time away from you. It's not a done deal, but the way Demonar's been playing, he's, he's really on fire. So I think, I think he's okay. I think he, he'll overtake the journeyman. I think looking at R hopefully uh, with a car crash collision there with Novak um, in the next round. So that'd be great to see.
1: Yeah, so 46 in the world, Manorino, 34 years of age. He defeated John Isner in four sets uh, in the first round. This one tonight looks like an absolute beauty. Thanasi Kokonakis versus uh, Andy Murray. What a different match for Thanasi coming up tonight because, uh, as we said yesterday, and it, Fabio Funini wasn't up for the fight and it only took five points uh, last night for Thanasi to wrap that up. But uh, it'll be a different story against Andy Murray who leaves nothing out there.
5: Oh, absolutely. I'm licking my lips over that one. That's going to be phenomenal. That's the last match on Margaret Court Arena tonight. I think that's going to be a packed stadium. The roof's going to get blown off there. I mean, first of all, Andy Murray, what he did to Matteo Berrettini was just incredible, five sets. Um, I love seeing this man. He just reinvents himself. He looks bigger and better than ever. I walked past him last night. His chest is a bit thinner. It looks like he's really lost a bit of weight. But his legs are massive. He has done the work and he looks like he's, he's really playing some great tennis. But I think more importantly, he loves the game. So Thanasi is going to have to reproduce some of this amazing tennis that we saw. And we know he can play. We saw it against Sinner in Adelaide. We've seen it over the last few years. He's just had so much of his his continual play broken up with injuries. So we're hoping Thanasi serves bombs. He's got to use his big serve and the forehand as a weapon. Um, And if he extracts long rallies, I don't think that's going to be a problem. He's fresh. His legs are ready to go. Of course, he played against the wet blanket yesterday. Not much came (laughs) from from Fognini. So he's got plenty in the tank, which luckily for him, he's got the whole day just to prepare. Because yesterday he was just sitting on edge. He didn't get to relax. He didn't have that day off. Because of the rain, he was waiting seven hours for that match so that really yeah that really is um a little bit of an issue because he just didn't get to go home to the hotel and relax and just have that day where you just kind of you know get your get your energy back but i think uh yeah just watch out everyone that match is going to be on fire i think it's going to be uh the going to take it in four
1: Let's hope you're right. Uh, that should be a cracker. It looks like we're not going to get too much rain today. It's not that warm down at Melbourne Park, but uh, hopefully no interruptions. Uh, Louise, thanks for your time again. Uh, enjoy day four.
5: Brian, Thanks, Jules. Have a great day.
1: You too. Great to talk to Louise Fleming. Let's hope she's right that Rafa will be back and uh, Thanasi Kokonakis can get the chocolates tonight against uh, Andy Murray. A little bit of footy news uh, coming up uh, after the news, but let's get to the newsroom with Anna Pavlou catchable high, but through the field and for
6: the second time in three days phoebe litchfield has impressed she's gone past 50 and she's hit the winning runs for australia pure delight for australia they're kicked on in game two here against pakistan firstly bowling them out for 125 uh, they complete the run chase inside 20 overs this Australian team are hard to beat, but they've uh, provided a ruthless performance at AB Field.
1: Pretty well summed up that. Hard to beat and ruthless, and they did it again yesterday. Ten-wicket uh, domination over Pakistan. They've won that series, one game to go uh, before some T20s, and then jetting off to South Africa for the T20 World Cup, where they're trying to defend their title from 2020, of course, famously won here at the MCG in front of 86,000 people. Uh, Alana King, she was part of the, the bowling lineup that clearly set up that victory yesterday. And she's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Alana.
6: Hey, Jules. How are
1: you? I'm very well. I uh, hope you're well as well. Yeah, the, the batters get all the, the credit after yesterday. But seriously, it was all the bowlers that set it up. It was a pretty small total for the girls.
6: Yeah, more for the bowlers. That's, that's what I like to hear. But um, no, nah, just a very clinical performance from from our um, openers, moons and Phoebe. And so uh, great to get to wrap up the series, I guess, in a 2-0. But we still got one to go and hoping we can go
1: 3-0. Tell us about Phoebe Litchfield. She's making this international cricket game look pretty easily. Two innings, two half centuries, undefeated in both. Uh, she looks an outstanding talent.
6: Yeah, it's an easy game, isn't it? Um, as you said, 250s in in two games, which is phenomenal. But now, uh, phoebe has been doing really well. Um, she's slotted into the team really nicely, and um, she's just showcasing what she's been doing in domestic cricket for, for a couple of years now, um, whether it's WNCL or in the WBBL. Uh, she, she's a quality batter, and she's just showing her class on the world stage at the moment.
1: I guess you sort of selfishly as cricket fans, we're all a bit worried about, you know, will, will would we see Meg Lanning back? She had six months off, and... As she's spoken about, it was a nice hiatus from cricket. She was making some coffee. She traveled over to the States. But it must be very nice to have her back. And in that first match, uh, she showed that uh, she's lost nothing.
6: Yeah, she's pretty much um, hasn't hasn't, uh, missed a beat, to be honest. And uh, we're all glad that she's come back quite refreshed and and in the mindset ready to play cricket that she loves and and with the team that she loves. So, um, yeah, she's floated back in uh, really nicely and we've all loved having her back out on the field with us
1: it's been ruthless the way you've played in in this series so far i mean we just marvel at the, at the results of this team that keep, you, that you keep producing but um where's that sort of ruthless attitude coming and, and you, you know you sort of got to keep resetting your standards driving the standards make sure they don't drop where, where does that sort of all stem from
6: i think it all comes from Uh, one another i think we we all drive each other to to keep getting better and and to keep pushing pushing the um the boundary i guess so we always want to be getting better um as individuals but as a team as well and if we can keep doing that whether it's at trainings um and even in games i think that's what's going to put us ahead of of the pack and we want to stay ahead of the pack um so look uh it's it's just a lot of fun to be part of this team and and we it all comes from a good place whenever we try to push each other to the limit. So um, we know it's going to be better for, for the individual and for the team itself.
1: Have you looked back on your last 12 months? It's been uh, uh, incredible. I mean, you made your, in the space of 14 days, you made your debut in three different forms for Australia: Com games, World Cup, and now you're on the verge of playing in another World Cup. It's, uh, 2022 was pretty memorable.
6: Uh, would go down as probably the best years <laughs> I've been. Um but yeah, it's just been an absolute dream um, that last year the last twelve months, I should say. And um, the dream keeps continuing every time I get to put on the the green and gold and play for my country. I'm just loving every bit of it. I've got a great group of girls around me. I've got some great mates as well, and um, it's just not the team on the field. It's also the support staff, um, like off the field as well, that have um, have made me like enjoy this this um, little uh, period of time I guess in my career and um, I've got a lot to thank for and and for them you know uh, believing in me and thinking that I can play at this level and um, yeah I've just loved every bit of it and look I'm going to keep lapping it up because um, yeah I just I'm just going to be smiling all the time because I just think um, whenever you can get to roll out in the green and gold I think you're just living a dream and that's what I'm currently doing and uh, not taking anything for granted—that's
1: for sure. We're speaking to Alana King, Australian spinner. Just on, on um, not taking things for granted, because there's so much talent around the country. Do you always feel you're on edge in this Australian team, it's particularly you know with the spinners? You got Georgia Wareham, Sophie Molyneux, you know Amanda Jade Wellington is a highly credentialed player as well. Yourself, do you always feel that you just got to keep performing? Otherwise, there's someone there that's going to take your spot.
6: Oh, I just for me, I don't think in that mindset kind of thing. I just kind of work uh, focus on myself and control what I can do and performance will take care of itself. Um, So um, I think it's great that we've got so many uh, not just spinners, but other people coming through and pushing for spots as well into the team. So um, I think it just keeps driving you to keep getting better. Um, And if if you're going to, if you don't want to be getting better, I think you're going to get left behind pretty quickly. So um, to me, it's, it's it pushes me to, to want to be getting better every day and um, to find new new things in my craft. But um, to be fair, I'm, I'm just focusing on myself because I, that's all I can control. I can't control um, what, what other people are doing or um, on selections and stuff like that. So, yeah, I kind of keep it kind of tunnel vision to myself and, and what I can do and um, control the controllables.
1: You polished off the tail yesterday, two and two. Um, what's planned for the first ball in game three? <laughs>
6: Well, I I've been told mixed things. I don't think it carries on um to, to the next game. I don't that's think it does, unfortunately. On. Yeah, so um yeah, I think some of the fans yesterday have maybe got the rules a bit bit twisted, but that's okay. Look, I'll just still continue to um to bowl a brilliant leg break and, and that's what I'll keep doing. It should it series. should carry
1: on to the next match,
6: isn't it? Three
1: three it's three and three.
6: Yeah, but different game, like, um, I'm not a fan of it. Like, I know I'm a bowler and I probably should be going into bat for the bowlers, but nah, uh, <laughs> still in the game and, and um, you can get your hat trick in a game.
1: No, fair yeah. enough. Uh, big uh, T20 World Cup coming up in South Africa. What sort of wickets have you been told to expect over in South Africa? And uh, have you played cricket in South Africa before?
6: Nope, never, never even travelled to South Africa ah. um, leisurely. So this is going to be a great experience, but... To be honest, they, what I've heard is they're quite similar to to the pitches we play um, in Australia. They might not be as bouncy as the wacker or or the gabba, um, but generally they're pretty much the same um, as Australian wickets. So, look, we'll, we'll get as much intel as we can. Uh, we've got a great analyst and and coaching staff who'll, who'll dive into all the technical side of things of grounds and pitches and all that stuff, but. Um, When it comes to me, I'll just um, hopefully just roll out there and take a few poles, and that's what I love doing.
1: As you said, you haven't been to South Africa before. It's an amazing part of the world. Will you get any time over there to to do any sightseeing and and see any of the sites, or is is the schedule just too packed?
6: I hope so. I think it's going to be an opportunity you can't pass up when you're in that part of the world, and it's such a beautiful country. I've heard such great things about it. So um, I'm sure on an off day, um there there will be some group activities um hopefully I'm, I'm hoping for a safari i would love to to go and experience that um but amongst that i'm sure there'll be uh there'll be plenty of golf days as well that will get um uh, will be on the course so no that generally around tours and even world cups that there, there is plenty of downtime because they want like the place to be refreshed and ready to go for the Um, for the game. So they give us plenty of time um, to to switch off from the game. And whether that's going to golf or or going exploring, um, there'll be plenty of time for that. How do you, how do
1: you go on the golf course and uh, who are the girls is uh, pretty handy with a golf stick in hand?
6: Uh, I, I'm your average golfer. Well, (laughs) your cricketer golfer who just wants to smack the ball as hard and as far as he can. Like I try when I hit a cricket ball. So um, look, so if I end up straight on a fairway, it just takes one drive that goes straight, and I'll be back to that's the all you time. need. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just a bit of fun. It's a great way to have some more banter with with some of the girls and some of the staff, and a good way to switch off from the game. But there's a um, there's a couple of golfers in the group, which is great, and yeah, we we all love it, and we all love to have a, have a good whack. But there's some serious golfers in the in the group, which. I kind of stay clear because they're a bit too good for me. But um, tips are always welcome. That's what I always tell them. So, um, and if they want to have a bit of a laugh, they can play with me. Because yeah, it's a bit of bit of fun. A bit of frustration gets left out on the call.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Lisa Healy's pretty handy with the golf stick in hand. Now you're you're in a unique position to answer this next question, Alana. We're talking to Alana King, Australian spinner. So at this time of the year, multiple choice question: What's more enjoyable? Playing cricket for Australia or wearing the Legionnaire's hat, rolling tennis balls and handing towels to players at the Australian <laughs> Open?
6: Oh, geez, yeah. You've got me in a pickle here. Like, that's, it's two childhood dreams, right? I've lived both of them, but um, I'll happily still put on the green and gold and play for my country for the cricket.
1: So you were a ball kid at the Australian Open. And yeah. I, were you ball kid at the 2011 Women's Final? Is that right?
6: Uh, yes, I was. Yep.
1: Oh, so that was that. Was that Kim Kleister's yeah, one that year?
6: Yeah, Kim. Kim Kleister's and Lena. Well,
1: you must have been a decent ball uh, girl if you got to do it in the final.
6: Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. I, like, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet <laughs> here, but um, you de- you definitely have to perform really well throughout the two weeks to even get a look at into the finals. So um, that was my second year. So. Um, yeah, hopefully, well, I think I did all right to, to get a women's final um, on-court appearance, which was unbelievable. Like, the atmosphere was electric, and get, getting to hold a cup with Kim Clijsters at the end was definitely a cherry on top.
1: Any uh, embarrassing moments? We see the famous clip where the uh, ball boy trips and smashes into the fence, drop a ball, oh, get in the way. Anything bad happen?
6: Uh, oh, there's a couple of times, where, well, in the final, Lee signaled that she wanted a towel so I ran over and gave her a towel but I think she was just more frustrated at the, the time of play and just yelled at me and didn't want the towel and <laughs> um, I just ran back to my spot going like great, like I'm just st- like being yelled at on live television <laughs> by Lena <laughs> um, in a final but that was one and then uh, I was in a game of Baghdadis. Um, he was playing, I can't remember his opponent but Baghdad has served a 200-kilometre serve. It was a fault. Um, So the opponent moved out the way. I didn't see the ball coming, and it hit me flush in the eye.
1: Oh, no. Oh, no.
6: (laughs) And I could not see, but um, (laughs) the best thing was he came up to me and just made sure I was all right, whilst my eye was profusely, like, tearing up. And just, (laughs) like, yeah, it was just rolling down my face. But um, they were probably the two that I can remember. Um, But it was good fun. It was the best time um, doing a ball kid being a ball kid at the Aussie Open.
1: So you've ticked off that. You've ticked off cricket for Australia. What else is on the bucket list?
6: Oh, I don't know. Maybe a, a single-figure handicap, maybe, mm-hmm. um, along the way for golf. No, nah, I'm just playing. I'm not going to be that good. <laughs> uh, no, I'll just be rolling on the golf course and, and again, not changing my, my technique. It's hitting it as far and as hard as I can. So uh, we'll just stick to cricket for now and trying to be good at that.
1: It's going beautifully, Alana. Hey, great to have you on the show. A bit of fun as always. And uh, congratulations with everything you're achieving and the team is achieving. Good luck uh, for the third ODI, the T20s against Pakistan. And, of course, uh, the big one, of course, over in South Africa, the T20 World Cup. Uh, Thanks for your time this morning, Alana. Thanks,
6: Jules. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolute pleasure. Alana King, she's a ripper. She's playing great cricket for Australia, and uh, they just continue to win. That is what that team does. Uh, Let's get the latest from the newsroom now uh, with Anna Pavlou. Welcome back to the show. So the Magic Millions gets completed on the Gold Coast today, but tomorrow at Flemington, the Resimax Group Rapid Racing Race Day returns. Uh, The Afternoon of Straight Racing will be focused on fast and fun with seven races up the famous Flemington straight, kicking off at three. There'll be a race every 30 minutes, making Flemington the place to be for a perfect summer Friday afternoon. Weather looks uh, pretty good. And uh, Lee Jordan, the VRC Executive GM Racing, will be hoping for a big crowd. And he joins us this morning. Morning, Lee.
3: Good morning, Julian. Yes, and uh, welcome, everyone. And as you said, uh, fast-paced action tomorrow. The first is at 3 p.m., seven races all down the Flemington Strait um, and 30-minute gap. So it's that compact, punchy program. First at three, last at six, three-hour program with plenty of great racing and plenty of action. And um, it's something we've been running now for a few years. And I think, um, like, a normal race day can go for five hours plus. And what we want to deliver is some, you know, fast action, fast pace. And um, uh, hopefully the timing, it's still in school holidays, so hopefully we can see plenty of families come along and... um, Maybe some people can leave work a little bit early, don't tell your boss, and just hop on the train and come out and um, you know have a couple of beers and uh, enjoy the punt.
1: Yeah, I think on a Friday afternoon, that's okay at this uh, time of the year. I was going to ask you, so what's the audience you're trying to capture here? Is it is it families? Is it maybe people that are casual racing fans but, as you say, don't want to spend a whole day at the races? What sort of uh, sort yeah. of audience are you trying to get in here?
3: No, it's, it's a really good point, and what we're trying to do is probably appeal to the people that may not be your. Uh, you're rusted on um, race goers. It's probably something a little bit different. Um, as I said, that compact program, so it's only three hours of normal race days, five hours plus, so you can come down, experience, experience racing. Maybe you've never been before. Come along and, you know, you see racing. I mean, I love racing down the straight, something unique. You know, all, all the races just down the straight, Um, we've also got something that might appeal to someone who probably maybe not right into all the technical stuff Mm. with racing is something that's called the fastest speed competition. So for the last four races, race four, five, six, and seven, uh, people that are on course, um, they're able to enter and predict and and pick what they think the fastest speed by kilometres an hour a horse horse may run. So they don't have to pick the horse. They only just have to pick the fastest speed. So and it's measured over a two hundred metre section. So to give you an example, Julian, Black Caviar, who's well known to everyone, (laughs) is our fastest famous sprinter. She clocks seventy-one kilometres per hour. So for those people sitting in their cars at the moment observing the speed limit at sixty Ks, you can imagine there goes Black Caviar just trotting past you. So it gives you a bit of an, an idea also how fast they go. So it's quite amazing, isn't it, to think. Now, I wouldn't be predicting 71 kilometres tomorrow. I'd probably more go uh, probably around that mid-60s, which when you think about it, are still going past the person sitting in at 60 k's in the traffic today. So it's quite quite amazing to think that that's the sort of speed these horses get to. So it's simply um, you enter via QR codes with the race book and, and other outlets and just predict for the last four races what you think the fastest speed will be over those four races. And if you're if you correct if you're correct or you're nearest the pin, you can walk away with a beautiful TCL uh, television, which uh, which is a great prize.
1: It just shows how brave our jockeys are when you talk about speeds uh, like that. So plenty of live music as well, food and drink options, a Pim's pop-up bar, croquet corner, DJ. So it's got something uh, for everyone. You mentioned Black Caviar there. Um, the Black Caviar Lightning stakes has been rated at the Longines World Racing Awards as the best sprint race in the world. Uh, Nature Strip announces the best sprinter heading back to the, hopefully, the Black Caviar Lightning Stakes at Flemington on Saturday, February 18. We've probably got the best jockey in the world uh, in James McDonald. So uh, we're doing a bit right in Australian racing at the moment.
3: Well, I think you're right, Julian. It was great that that was announced uh, for the world rankings. Um, you know, and that's all countries around the world USA, England, Ireland, France, Hong Kong, Japan. You know, where have got the best sprint race, but also the second top sprint race that was rated in the world is the champion sprint that was run on the final day uh, last year, our our revamped Champions Day. was the final day of the the carnival. And conversely, the three Group 1s on Champions Day, the Group 1 sprint, the Group 1 mile, and the Group 1 champion stakes over 2,000, all three races were in the top 100 in the world. So um, we did pretty well, Flemington. Pretty uh, (laughs) proud down here. We've got some really top-class racing. And as you said, the Black Caviar Lightning is back on the 18th of Feb. We're hoping Nature's trip will be there and um, actually Rockin Horse that uh, knocked him off in yeah. the Champion Sprint in November. Hopefully they'll be going head-to-head again, plus um, some other top-class sprinters as well on the 18th. So um, all shaping up and we've also got our new Australian Cup Day this year um, towards the end of March. The Group won $3 million Australian Cup. So um, it's all shaping up, uh, you know, coming into this um, next two months, but we kick it off with Rapid Racing tomorrow.
1: Speaking to VRC Executive GM of Racing, Lee Jordan, head of Rapid Racing tomorrow at Flemington. You, sp- you mentioned revamp there, and certainly the Champions Day at the end of uh, Melbourne Cup week was a was certainly a success. There, The big story this week, though, has been about talk of a major revamp and the possibility of moving the Cox Plate uh, back a month. Have you got thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, it's interesting, uh, Julian, at this time of year, Racing Victoria goes through their planning process for 2023-24 racing season with their race dates, and they talk about the program as well. So they're looking at various scenarios, et cetera. Um, as you said, we um, introduced the Champions Day last year, which was a great success, and we saw different people coming too. With a younger audience engaged. So we've obviously got plans to make that bigger and better. Um, obviously there's discussions between Racing Victoria and Moonee Valley about Tox Bike Day, and I think there's a lot of things to be thought about um, moving such an iconic race from where it traditionally is now um, to that space. So that'll play out, obviously, in the next few weeks. But um, here we're obviously pumped up about the four days of the spring carnival, and uh, we'll be looking at trying to make it bigger and better. Is there any
1: chance down the track? I mean, Jared Waitley's been big on this on this program for a while. He'd like to see the whole carnival shifted back to sort of cash in on a a, a quieter time on the sporting calendar and not overlap uh, with the end of the footy season. Is, can we ever see a day where the Melbourne Cup date actually changes?
3: I don't think so, Julian. Um, I think that the cup sits beautifully the first Tuesday in November. Race It Stops The Nation. You know, the four days of the carnival turns over um, more than $750 in wagering money, which is around 9% of the total wagering in a year. So four days uh, totals 9% for the whole year. We get get the biggest crowds, more than 250,000. It's watched by 750 million people throughout the world. They're not bad um, metrics, really, when you think about it. And um, I think the new Champions Day was was a great initiative. So I think it's, you know, sometimes, you know, um, you have to be careful with change for change's sake. And um, I think the Melbourne Cup and the Carnival stood the test of time and it sits in a great spot. And um, I think we can just make it bigger and better.
1: So judging by your two answers there, is your personal view that we should just leave the Cox Plate where it is?
3: Oh, look, it's, it's Mooney Valley's decision on what they want to do if they want to move that race to there. I think it sits well. The last 10 years, um, four winners of the Melbourne Cup have come through the Cox Plate. So from a racing angle, it's worked pretty well. And um, yeah, I, I think it goes well. But obviously, uh, Moonee Valley is separate club. Um, they need to obviously work through their options. And uh, if they believe it's a better result going a, a month later, well, it'll be up for them to, to work through with Racing Victoria. But I suppose one thing we need to consider from a VRC perspective is that we run eight Group Group 1 races over the four days, so we need to look at the whole program, which we haven't seen yet, and we need to analyse, do we have the right pathways to support those races for those four days of the carnival, which I explained before are such a vital part in the whole um industry that supports wagering and uh and and gains a, a lot of attendance as well so there's, there's a lot there's a lot to go through julian it's sort of not like not like a a 5 minute decision
1: well it's not you make one decision it sort of affects a lot of other things uh, doesn't it just finally can you give us a, a, an I given your role I mean we saw what happened with the magic millions you know cancelled on the weekend after two races I mean can you just give us an idea of the impact that has on like the Gold Coast Turf Club, for example, when your biggest day is affected like that?
3: Yeah, well, just like from a club perspective, obviously not the Gold Coast, but they would have, um, obviously they're now running on a Thursday, so they were running on a Saturday. So I'm assuming they're going to be impacted by crowd and they would be gearing up. That would be one of their biggest days uh, for the year, uh, being Magic Means Day. So um, they're obviously looking, running today at a lesser crowd, uh, wagering would definitely not be anywhere near as as big as on a Saturday, so uh, for a club perspective, that would be hurting them, you know, uh, fairly uh, pretty bad financially. You know, I don't know the exact figures, but you know, I, you would think there would be, uh, it could go into the millions, but um, so it's a it's a pretty big impact when you do lose a meeting, and I know we've felt that through COVID. Mm. Uh, when we didn't have crowds here for, for the three years, it's, um, when we're relying on getting 250000 300000 to the Carnival, it's, it's a pretty big financial loss.
1: It certainly is. Let's hope it's well supported today. Lee, thanks so much for your time. Uh, good luck with the Rapid Racing race day tomorrow.
3: Anytime, time, Julian. Make sure, uh, yeah, hop on the train and get down here.
1: Going to be a beautiful day, hopefully, and uh, get down to Flemington if you can. Uh, let's get to a break. Coming up after 11, Debbie Lee and Michael Karianis.
3: Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy.
2: Switch to 100% Aussie.
1: Well, very significant day in the AFLW and women's footy in general yesterday when the great Daisy Pearce announced her retirement. One woman that knows her really well and can give us a great snapshot into the legacy that Daisy leaves is Debbie Lee, and she's been good enough to join us this morning. Morning, Debbie.
0: Good morning.
1: The announcement yesterday, I think, most of us thought once she won that flag that probably would be it for Daisy. She sort of explained it it wasn't that simple. But just going back to when she won the flag, did you think that would be the last time uh, we saw her in a playing capacity?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think she was just uh, tossing up whether um, or accepting whether it's time to actually hang up the boots. But what a wonderful way to actually go out. It was so well-deserved. Um, Daisy kept in the Melbourne Footy Club in their first ever AFLW flag.
1: Perfect ending to a, an amazing career with all the awards at AFLW level, you know, three times All Australian, three times best and fairest, four times AFL PA best captain, and then you go back to Darabin with the ten flags, uh, all the achievements there. Can you remember the first time you became aware of Daisy and the first time that you saw her play footy? Yeah,
0: geez, it was back in the day. Um she was sixteen when she when she came down um, and joined Darabin Falcons. I was it was Uh, um, opposition at that time. I had the the fortunate pleasure of playing against Daisy and also um, being involved with her at state level as well. And she was just exceptional. She had a real good understanding of the game. Um, She was really passionate about the game, but she had an enormous amount of skill and she was certainly, um, you know, ahead of her time in in an era that uh, women's football was starting to take shape. So, you know, we always knew there was a a special place for, for Daisy. We just didn't know what that looked like at the time.
1: Is that one of her great strengths? Obviously she's got a lot of talent and she works really hard but is it her footy IQ that is really one of her strengths as a, as a player?
0: Yeah absolutely absolutely. Um, obviously I got to work really closely with Days um, in the um, the early days of the exhibition series and when I worked at the Melbourne Football Club and really got a great insight into her footy IQ but also as Days as a person um, she has a level of um, understanding, empathy, care, um, and just a great leader. She's the best leader I've seen in my time in terms of leading teams. And uh, you know, yes, that um, combined with her IQ and her football skills makes it makes a great human first and, and a great footballer.
1: That's a big wrap because you would have uh, you know worked alongside, played alongside, coached some really good leaders. So why is she the standout in your opinion?
0: Oh, she's just selfless. Um, you know, she, she has an enormous amount of ability, but she, she understands where she sits in the game. But she, her ability to give back and her genuine care for the game itself, but also for people, um, is, is really what is unique about days. Um, and I'm sure if you talk to her teammates, they would articulate that as well. She's just um, uh, has enormous care for her players. Um, a really good understanding of each individual and how to actually interact and get the best out of them. Um, But, yeah, she's just got a a, a great empathy Um, and and leads by example. Um, And I think we saw that through her AFLW days.
1: We're talking to Debbie Lee about the retirement of Daisy Pearce and just what impact she has left on, on footy and, in particular, of course, the women's game. So, yeah, her record speaks for herself and we know how good a player she was. But... What is her legacy in terms of, of women's footy and the influence she's had on on women's footy and, and particularly the early days of the AFLW competition?
0: I think it's enormous what, what Daisy's been able to do. I mean, she was the first ever draft pick for the AFLW um, and that in itself um, attracts attention and the way she handled that and she was quite young at the time. But also, you know, through her on-field, obviously, uh, accolades and off-field at Melbourne. But then you you add in the media and trailblazing through, um, uh, you know, a woman that's been involved in the media for a number of uh, years. She's she's also contributed in that sense. So she's been able to really show people that women are part of the the AFLW and the AFL industry. And um, the way she goes about it in a really humble way is really outstanding.
1: Do you think she's been the most significant figure in the brief history of the AFLW?
0: Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, there's been a number of players um, in, in their roles across the country and and, and and they play a role within their state. You look at Chelsea Randall and Aaron Phillips and what have you. And I guess with, with days in terms of Victoria and the greater game, given that she was um, that first draft pick, there was that added pressure, but certainly... Um, I think in her time, she's gone through a whole generation of football from um, the VWFL to AFLW to the media. Um, she's really been able to influence people in a really um, great way and really shown the next generation that, uh, you know, if you, if you put your mind to it, you can play the game, you can commentate in the game. And I think that more broadly, um, out of the actual playing days, is, is really significant. Um, and I think the way she goes about it
1: is just outstanding. We know she's you know she's been a great player, and we've seen what she's been able to do in the media, and she's fantastic at that. We now know she's embarking on a coaching journey. She's going to work at the Cats. That's uh, you know that that job was announced uh, last year. I, I assume I know the answer to this question, but uh, I'm assuming you think she could make a very good coach as well. Oh yeah,
0: I mean the Cats. Cats have done really well to attract Daisy Pearce to, to be part of their football program. They're really going to get some upside from her, from her coaching lens. She's uh, she's remarkable, and I think she's grown over time in terms of when she first started playing football to now through the, her experience as captain and her journey as an AFLW player. But she, I think we all know, and, and we we'll see that in the public, see that through the commentary as well. She really knows what she's talking about. So... I think the Cats are going to um, really have an advantage by having Daisy Pee as part of their footy program.
1: Should there be some sort of uh, medal or honour or scholarship or, or something sort of named after Daisy to, to recognise her contribution? Do you think?
0: Yeah, look, I'd, I'd absolutely support that. I think um, her her tender in terms of a journey from you know the early days as a sixteen year old to um where she is now I mean we can't forget she's also a mum so you mm. know in the middle of her career she had twins like it's just remarkable what she's been able to do and, and what a what a true trailblazer and I think it's it's great that we actually acknowledge her achievements acknowledge the person that she is and she's going to continue to make a great contribution to our industry um, and let's sit back and, and acknowledge what she's done already i would fully support any recognition that comes today.
1: And just on your journey, it's changed a little bit the last few months. You started that role at the AFL, the head of the Women's and Girls Action Plan. How's that going? And Are you missing life at Clubland?
0: Um, look, it's a great journey. Um, you know, there's some great work we're doing at the AFL in terms of just really advancing women in footy from a community level. So our, our job there is to actually get the numbers up and engagement in women and girls at coaching, umpire and administration, which is a real passion of mine, is is really to advance women in footy. And, uh, yeah, look, I thought I'd I'd, I'd miss the the, the dogs. Um, Obviously you do because it's, you know, a a weekend, it looks like a a game-to-game. But, um, you know, I've really adapted to the changing role. I'm I'm pretty passionate in this space because I think we've got some work to do in it. So, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying the new role.
1: What about the umpiring part of it, Debbie? We know it's, it's very hard to attract you know, um, young male umpires, um, and we know that's, you know that's a big reason why you know, we've cracked down on any sort of descent towards umpires at AFL level. What's it like in terms of attracting females to umpire the game?
0: Yeah, well, we've got challenges there, absolutely. I mean, we've got some really ambitious figures around um, attracting females, and I think the first and foremost is making sure we get our environments right. Um, so that when we're actually out there recruiting umpires, we're male or female, that our that our environments are right, um, and we're doing some, we we're, we're we're undertaking some great initiatives and working with schools and. Um, local clubs in terms of how we do that but it's going to be a bit of a slow burn but certainly um, we've seen some really great uptake in this space and we know we've got work to do Uh, and we're working with um, umpire associations and leagues to actually um, ensure that you know we're supporting them so we can attract more male and female umpires.
1: And just finally, before we let you go, if, uh, in, in 10 years' time that someone's never seen Daisy Pierce play footy, comes up and says, Debbie, just tell us about Daisy Pierce, uh, the footballer. What would your answer be?
0: Uh, I'd say um, she had a stellar career. She was an outstanding leader, um, had a real high IQ of the game, uh, exceptional skills, and um, really had a huge impact in um, the modern era of women's football. Actually,
1: just one more. Uh, were you su- I never thought she'd be the type to get a tattoo, but she got a couple of tattoos after the flag. Did that surprise you?
0: I didn't even know she did. There oh, you no, She's got a couple. Um, has she? Mm. Has she? Oh, right. I haven't... Uh, that, that's news to me. But, um, yeah, she didn't... Uh, to be honest, I didn't think she was the type, but good on her for... Um, you know, uh, making sure that she's got her legacy reminded on her on her body, imprinted on her body. But, um, yeah, I didn't realise that she got a, a, a couple of tats.
1: Uh, there you go. A few surprises from Daisy late in her career. Hey, Debbie, thanks so much for taking some time this morning to, to honour Daisy Pearce. It's been great to catch up.
0: Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. We don't want it to
4: come that. If the NRL are going to sit on their heels and, and not budge, then who knows where it's going to go. Yeah, so that's something that, as a playing group we've all decided to do. And... Um, like I said, hopefully it just grabs the NRL's attention and, and shows that we're not happy. This is the most united the playing group's ever been. You know, we're we all like brothers and sisters. Uh, we all go through the same things day in, day out. We all train our backside off. We all put our body on the line week in, week out. And we've all got a you know a limited time, a limited career. So we as a collective are trying to get the, the best deal and the fairest deal for players. So.
1: So the first part of that answer was about potential strike action. The second part of that answer was about uh, some of the, you know, the organised NRL media gigs that uh, players are no longer attending. Uh, Michael Carrianas has been following this story that closely. It's, it's moving that quickly that Michael didn't even have the time to take our call yesterday. But he, thankfully, he's got 10 minutes for us today. G'day, Michael. <coughs>
4: I apologise again for yesterday, mate.
1: Sorry about that. No, it's a fast-moving story, and you're a busy man. So just break this down for us in layman's terms. I noticed that Clint Newton was on air this morning with Matty White and said, this isn't a paywall. This is not a pay dispute. The CBA is not about the salary cap. The release of the salary cap on December 23 was a tactic by the NRL to make this about pay. So from the player's point of view, what is the sticking point with all of this? Because correct me if I'm wrong, haven't the NRL committed – to a 25% pay increase?
4: Yeah, they have. And um, the the salary cap makes up part of, of the CBA negotiations. There's a raft of issues that the players are, are still trying to communicate with the NRL, among the minimum wage, um, private health insurance um, being paid for, um, uh, other things including the women's NRLW, uh, CBA. Uh, so there's, there's a lot to go with it at the moment, not just the salary cap. The salary cap, is a sexy thing in terms of what we all like to talk mm. about and, you know, the big headlines because we're talking millions and millions of dollars, but um, there's a lot that goes into the CBA outside of the salary cap.
1: So what what are some of the other issues? I think sort of retirement funds is another one that has uh, been mentioned. I guess I guess, I, th- I think this, is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first pay deal which involves the women as well. Is, yeah. is that a sticking yeah. point?
4: Yes, definitely just getting some parameters around what the NRLW season looks like and you know, um, what the, the responsibilities and commitments of, of the players of the NRLW and, and getting, you know, some, some pay, um, not parity, but some equality across the games. And then you're looking at, um, for the, for the men, they're looking at, um, you know, raising that, that minimum wage it's around 80 grand at the moment to get it to one fifty I think the NRL were about one twenty one thirty um, in, in their release, you know, what, um, the payment model looks like for those that sit outside the top 30, each club must have top 30 players, but they're allowed, you know, at the moment it's six development players. Um, but that contracting model may change. Uh, the the players are upset that private health insurance, which was covered for um, in their last pay is being taken out uh, as well. So there's lots of parameters to it. And, you know, we've seen, We've heard rumblings for, for the last couple of months. Look, this has dragged on months. We're not mm, talking, yeah. you know, since post-Christmas. This has just dragged on and on and on. And, you know, the, the NRL contracting model starts in November 1. So this is, this is how long uh, the players are without uh, clarity in terms of uh, exactly how much they should be getting paid. What's
1: the temperature amongst NRL fans on this one? It's, it's sort of rarely do players get a lot of support when there's talk yeah. around money. Is that is that the similar sentiment up
4: up in the, the northern states? Yeah, for sure. I've been obviously doing breakfast in, in Sydney this week, and uh, it, it's a it's a PR battle that the players can't win, right because all, all people see um, is players earning. What they're thinking is a million bucks, and they complain about what they're earning. Right? That's that's yep. what, what what the fans think that this is all about. But there's a lot more that that's going into it. It's not about that that top echelon of players as well. It's about protecting some of those lesser lights and setting up players for, for post-football as well.
1: I guess, the th- just explain what's happening with the, the sort of media appearances at the moment? Because there was <laughs> yeah. a few clubs that pulled out of, I think they were NRL-scheduled events and photo shoots and the like. So are players doing, we heard from uh, Kurt Capel there, are they doing a lot of media, no media, some uh, media. How's yeah. it all working?
4: Yeah, it's a bit mixed at the moment. So the first event that Cronulla Sharks put out of an NRL event, so the NRL wanted you know, headshots of all the players and a bit of promotion, marketing, um, stuff that they do each pre-season and you know, for the NRL's official website. So uh, the NRL, uh, the Sharks players informed the NRL that they wouldn't be going on with that. But since then, we've seen wider, um, cl- other clubs pull out of wider media commitments. The Newcastle Knights yesterday were due to have their entire squad up for interview for everyone, not just the NRL.com uh, official website, but you know, for people like us at the Telegraph or ESPN or whoever wanted to, to go and interview them. Um, that's media accredited could have gone to Newcastle training, but they pulled out of that. The Dragons pulled two players, or well, two Dragons players, opted out of fulfilling their media commitments early in the week as well. So it's starting to get a, a little bit more widespread and not just related to NRL uh, official duties.
1: I guess the third party in all this, uh, Michael, speaking to Michael Karianas, Daily Telegraph, SEN Sydney, um, is the clubs. So where do they sit on this, you know, the players, the action they're doing at the moment? You know, there's talk of potential strikes. Are they saying a lot? Are they letting it just bubble away in the background? What's been the reaction of the clubs?
4: Well, they're sort of stuck in the middle a a little bit. You know, there's no doubt some clubs are split in terms of uh, the club grant, which they receive. Some clubs are, you know, a static it. Other clubs are are less than happy with, with what they've received from the NRL, but um, it's a tricky one for them because fundamentally, they're the ones that are paying these players. Mm. Right? So, the, if they start boycotting commitments, or well, particularly club commitments, well, the players start to breach in their, their own contract. Right? So, technically, you know, Newcastle and, and the Dragons players are committed, or you know contractually bound to, to fulfill those media obligations, but you know, clubs aren't going to start breaching their players over this sort of stuff yet, but um, if it does start to impact, you know, what's happening on the field and, you know, you know, if it starts having some ramifications for, for sponsors and membership and, you know, the bottom line of, of clubs, I think that's where clubs will get a bit antsy at the moment. But if they're skipping media interviews, I think most clubs would be happy about that and players would be too.
1: Yeah, I don't think they'd be that uh, disappointed. Now, the other sexy word around these topics is, is strike. And uh, Kurt yeah. Capel, he didn't rule that out. Now, is that just sort of tough talk? Is that just part of a negotiation or is there actually genuine fear that that this could end in so, some sort of strike action by the players
4: Not yet I can't see how they're not going to perform in round 1 right like it's going to be a a, a really tough sell for the players to sell imagine trying to sell that to the fans that the players are boycotting round mm, 1 there's good. a difference between you know breaking up a few media commitments or you know there's talk around them skipping the NRL season launch which could happen I can get that and that would have some damaging impact for the game but it doesn't impact the fans that much. But, mm. you know, I think they'd lose a lot of people if, if they're not playing uh, come round one. And honestly, I don't think they'd be able to get the support of a whole playing group either. You know, there's a lot, lots of players that go, no, I want to play. Yeah, of course. So how they can get unilateral support of all the players not playing, I think that would be nearly impossible. But skipping a few media commitments here and there or the season launch, you know, I think that's pretty easily done.
1: They got some support from Usman Khawaja saying, you know, it's a bit, bit like... Um... The cricketers, they they wanted their revenue share model. They held their ground. They eventually got mm-hmm. it. Uh, he doesn't believe uh, the players are asking too much or they're not really asking for too much at all. Um, interesting that a cricketer would get involved.
4: Yeah, I think that was out a joint promotion. I think Adam Reynolds was standing next to him, though. So that makes sense. <laughs> think, uh, what's he going to say? No, I don't support the players. Like, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like, it was a great, great chat, right? I don't, I don't know if he knows all the ins and outs of, of what's going on. Um, in you know, in clubland, in in the NRL.
1: And just before we let you go, what's been the reaction to the news that uh, Eddie Jones is coming back, uh, replacing Dave Rennie? What was the sort of immediate reaction amongst uh, rugby fans up north?
4: Well, I think it was it was interesting. Like, you know, rugby has basically, to be fair, been non-existent, right? It's it's dropped way behind rugby league and cricket as the two major sports in New South Wales. And then AFL would, would be next, would be next, um, under, you know, in the winter codes, it'd be under the NRL, right. In, in New South Wales and rugby is a distant, distant, distant relative at the moment. But we spent two days on the breakfast show talking about, uh, Eddie Jones. Um, it brought rugby back onto the, the back page and front pages of of the newspapers here. And and people are talking about him. He, he will now become the most recognizable wallaby. No doubt about Mm. that. And, and you knew, we sensed when Eddie Jones got appointed, that the first thing he'd say is, well, I'm going to poach some league players. And, and that's what he's already spoken about doing because he's got a track record of doing it.
1: What, what chance that happens? D- that oh, he'll get huge. some? I,
4: I reckon he'll get one. And they'll become probably the highest paid player in either coach. Who will it be? Of, oh, uh, that, that, that'll be? There's a few potentials. Joseph Sawalee here from the Roosters has a rugby union pedigree. Will Pinnacini from Parramatta has pedigree. Angus Crichton. Uh, Cam Murray, these sort of guys that have all grown up playing uh, high-level rugby union. Whether uh, they want to make the switch, I'm not sure. But, you know, there'd, there'd be a lot of players that could um, turn out um, in rugby. But there's also been some that, that have failed. You know, Roger tuivasa shek was an elite, elite player in rugby league and struggled to make the all Blacks squad. Tully was one of the best wingers in the game for the Storm and has barely been cited for the Wallabies as well. So, um, it's you know, it's, it's, the transition is not as easy as one would think.
1: Now, I've got to ask you about the big story before I let you go. It's been big in the Daily Telegraph. It's all around the country. Clark v. Stefanovic v. (laughs) everyone else. Uh, (laughs) What's the reaction? It's been a big reaction down here in Melbourne, but given we're dealing with uh, a New South Welshman and Michael Clark and Carlos, Mm. he Mm. says he's a Queenslander, but, you know, he's a big big man in New South Wales.
4: (laughs) Has it just gone bunter up there, this story? Oh, yeah. It was front page of uh, the Telegraph. <laughs> uh, in, in this morning, it's still the lead story on the website, despite being up for you know more than twelve hours now. And you know, it's one of those ones where you know you're in WhatsApp groups with your mates and stuff. They're like, "What about classy?" What's <laughs> <doing?"> <laughs> so that's that's a good way to gauge on, on how many people are actually speaking about it. Is um, just getting a bit of a sample size from, from your mates, and it, yeah, it has dominated uh, at least my private circles <laughs> um, since last night.
1: Oh, Carl lost us three and a half hours on the Today Show and doesn't mention it. I know we Come had on, Carl! Background. You can't, you I can't that, live in, the, put your head in the sand.
4: I thought that he should have knocked on set today with a, just a bit of makeup, or like a black eye, bit of, bit oh, of, oh, bit of theatre, bit that. of theatre. How, how good would that have been? That'll
1: get the ratings up. They're in a war with Sunrise.
4: That would have been good. Yeah, make it happen. I know it was bizarre that it wasn't addressed at all, but. You know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's got everything, that story. It has got absolutely yeah. everything. Hey, Michael, uh, thanks for your time. We'll keep a close eye on this one. It's uh, getting pretty tense in the NRL, but hopefully there'll be a resolution before the season kicks off on March the 2nd. Thanks for your time. Thank you, mate. Bye. Great to talk to Michael Carriana's doing a great job on SEN Sydney and also for the Daily Telegraph. Uh, let's get the latest now from the newsroom with Anna Pavlou.
3: AO Radio, now on the SEN app for a pinnacle of engineering. Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted.